Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. Please come and grab your seat. If you've not met me, my name is Stuart, leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to you um, this morning. Just want to commend um, the evening, afternoon we had yesterday with the man versus fire. It was fantastic. All the activities and the food we had, it was brilliant just to be outside, hang out together, um, eat food together, do some crazy activities. I will now never forget the intensity on men's faces. They try and throw axes and hurl. Hurling spears is not as easy as it looks. And Manny and Jeremy took this very seriously to try and make sure they could throw spears. Josh, as he's here, him on a double-handed axe is a sight to behold. So it was a wonderful afternoon. Brilliant. Look forward to it. I hope we do something like that again next year. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, summer's kind of finished, but I don't know what you do with your summer, but me, the most exciting thing about summer is I get lots of time to read books and hang out with my family. Um, And so I've got some book recommendations for you here today, and I've got some free copies if you want to come and grab one. The first one, Confronting Jesus by Rebecca McLaughlin. This is fantastic. This is nine chapters all about Jesus, talking about Jesus as um, the son, the seed of the woman, the king, the teacher, the lover, the servant, the healer. This is a fantastic devotional book. I read this over the summer, fell more in love with Jesus. It's brilliant. Come and read, come and grab a copy of that if you want that confronting Jesus. The second one, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools by Tyler Statton. This was an excellent book on prayer and pushing into prayer. It is practical, lots of practical stuff. I've even written a page out separately of all the practical things, thinking I want to try that, I want to do that, I want to build that into my prayer life. This one was fantastic as well. Read that devotionally, set your heart on fire. So there's three copies of that, uh, Tyler Stat. And the last one, a short book. This is brilliant. This one's 60 pages. So you could just nail this one and then be like, yeah, I read a book and do a little victory dance. This one's called Unbreakable by Andrew Wilson. This is what the Son of God said about the Word of God. So this is looking at Jesus and what he said about God's Word and what that means for us as we read God's Word. And I found this absolutely brilliant, enlightening, lots of little short chapters, only 60 pages, but are really good. I think this was available at New Day and a bunch of the kids got them as well, um, the teenagers, but please come and grab that. So I've got some free copies there. If you want them, come and help yourself to those. All right, today we have uh, the final section of Mark's Gospel. So if you've got your Bible with us, go to Mark chapter 16, Mark chapter 16, and we're going to be rounding out our series that we've done, we've been going through for about a year now. Um, And so we're going to finish it um, this morning. But because we're finishing, and that's a good thing, and that's a time of celebration, we've got some chocolates for you here at the front. They're not just decorations. They are there for you to enjoy. So what we're going to do is we're going to hand them out. If we kind of move them around the congregation, please take a few and then pass them on and keep them moving around. And they've got something to munch on. You're welcome enjoy that um, as we finish Mark's gospel today. Now, I don't know if there's anyone here who likes stories, whether they're stories in books, on TV, or even narratives we read, we follow in the media, but sometimes stories don't end the way we want them to end. 
Sometimes the, the payoff at the end isn't what we're expecting or necessarily what we want. And I find this particularly relevant for me as a sports fan. I like watching sports. I like following them. But sometimes the end isn't quite what I wanted and what I expected. And I kind of want to rewrite the end of the story because it wasn't, didn't turn out how I wanted. And this is particularly relevant if you're a follower of football, particularly the England football team. Is anyone here old enough to remember 1990? World Cup semi-final, England against Germany. And it goes to, of course, where does it go to? Penalties. And God bless Stuart Pearce and Chris Waddle were over the bar and England are knocked out. Um, don't make the final. Terrible. And then you fast forward a few years. Euro, Euro 96. Semi-final. Who was it again against? Who was it against? Yeah, blooming Germans. God bless them. This time it's, it's Gal Southgate. And you're like, no! I remember watching that and just being distraught. World Cup 98. David Beckham. The saviour. He's come. He's brilliant. And he gets sent off against Argentina and you're like no England are knocked out Euro 2004 I remember this so vividly England are playing an opening group match there's people in mine and Mel's home with loads of people there got the youth group there our friends there we're watching England are 1-0 up against the world champions France there's a few minutes left Zinedine Zidane <laughs> <laughs> we lost 2-1 and everyone just left the house. No one said a word, they just walked out and we were just sitting on the sofa like, that was a terrible ending. 2018 World Cup, thank goodness it wasn't penalties this time. <laughs> Extra time against Croatia and England lose. Even a couple of weeks ago, we were on holiday and the boys came and said, we want to watch the World Cup final, the Women's World Cup final. Who was in it? The Lionesses, they were playing Spain. Spain scored that spectacular goal, but then there was the penalty save at the end. You thought, this is going to change. This is England's moment. They're going to turn it around. And no, they didn't play like troopers, but they lost. And the reality is we don't always like the endings of the stories. We always don't like how they turn out. And we almost think we want to rewrite that. We want to change that. We want to alter that. And that's what we're going to be having a little look at today as we close out Mark's gospel. We're in the final section. We've been going through this for 12 months. In the recent few chapters, we've had Jesus been arrested. He's been tried in a Jewish court. He's been sentenced to death by a Roman judge. He's been beaten, mocked, flogged, and finally crucified. He dies on the cross, and his body has been laid in a tomb. And we're going to look at the next few verses at the beginning of Mark, and they're going to appear on the slide behind and I will read them to you. So chapter 16, starting at verse 1. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. 
and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Okay, big idea. Big idea this morning is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead means we have a massive decision to make. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead means we have a massive decision to make. Okay, he has risen. We're going to look at the women and the angels and then the response. So the women, verses 1 to 4, it says... um, Mark is returning to the women who we we met in the end of chapter 15, verses 40 and 47. So they've already been named and identified with him. And so these women, they witnessed the death of Jesus on the cross. They witnessed his burial in the tomb when Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate to get the body and put it in the tomb. So they are witnesses. They've seen it. And the personal names that Mark uses for them is another reminder that these were eyewitnesses to the events. Personal names in the Gospel of Mark are quite are unusual. So when he does name them specifically, we have to take note. And he's basically pointing out that these women saw it all. They saw his... He's taking out to be crucified. They saw his death and they saw his burial and he's bringing us back to him. Now there is an irony in here, which Mark has a lot of these in his gospel, is that the, the testimony of a woman at the time would not stand up in court. It wasn't considered important enough. It had to be a testimony of a man to be uh, legally allowed into a court. And so if you were going to fabricate a story, you wouldn't use women as your witness which only points to the authenticity of what's happening now. Because if this was a made-up story, it definitely wouldn't be women. But in the grace of God, he says, no, these are the people who are going to see what's happening. And so these are the ones who've been present throughout. These are the ones who Mark is choosing to focus on here. And it begins with the Sabbath, which links back to the end of the previous chapter, was that Jesus' body was taken down on the cross because the Sabbath was coming. The Sabbath was a Jewish day of rest, so they needed to deal with the dead body quickly, so they then put it into the tomb. And so this is after the Sabbath, so it's the next day of the week, the first day of the week, which is for us our Sunday. And the Jewish custom at the time was to anoint a dead body um, with an oil that was mixed with myrrh and aloes. Um, So this is what the women were going to do. This wasn't embalming like the Egyptians. This was an anointing. So as the body decayed, there was a different smell there. And so they were going to do that. So they were up early on the Sunday morning to go to the tomb to anoint the body. And the actions of the women here show their devotion to Jesus Got to make that point. Their devotion, they've been through it all. They've been following him throughout his ministry. They witnessed the horror of his execution and death. And then they observe where he's buried. But they are still devoted to him. And they are going to continue with the practice. So they want to anoint the body. A kind of almost final act. Um, as he is gone, he is passed from this life. 
And so they show that their devotion for, to Jesus stretches beyond even his death. They would be followers of Jesus to the bitter end. And that the irony of their actions is that if we remember in Mark's gospel, this action has already been carried out. Do you remember Mark chapter 14 when the woman, the unnamed woman, came before Jesus and she broke that jar of perfume and it filled the house? And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, she's anointing my body for burial. And so actually these women, these women we know aren't going to be able to fulfill their task. One, because it's done already, done already happened. And the other one, the resurrection is going to get in the way. But they are coming to the tomb to do this. But then we find out this very early. Uh, the, um, the, the, the reference there is between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, but it's qualified by whenever the sun came up. So sometime in that period. So they were up at the crack of dawn, sun had risen, they want to go. And they have a conversation that only Mark of all the gospel writers records, basically saying, how are we going to move the stone? There's only three of them. The stone's very big. They haven't got any help. The disciples who could have been a help were all fled and in hiding. So it's just the three of them. So they're on the way to do the job that they want to do. And then suddenly realizing, uh-oh, we've got a big stone in the way because they have seen it. How do, we move, uh, how do we move it? But then they arrive at the tomb, problem solved. The stone has been moved away. And the implication there as we read it, the way Mark's written it is saying this is an act of God. This is an act of God. God is at work in this situation and it doesn't have human involvement. Humans are merely witnesses to the activity of God. God is on the move. God is working. And all men and women do is they witness his works. It's not about them. It's about him. God works humans witness. And then we get to the next section, verses 5 and 6. An angel is there. They enter the tomb. And they see a young man sitting at the right side dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. This is a description of an angelic encounter and they were alarmed. The word used there can describe fear, wonder, astonishment or distress. I would submit to you that they feel all of those things when they meet this angelic encounter. And the announcement that the angel then presents to the women entirely contradicts what they were expecting. They were coming to anoint a dead body. But then the angel speaks to them. It's always fascinating when an angel turns up, they invariably start with the words, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be alarmed. It says something about their countenance, what they're like. But that's how he begins. And it says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. But he says probably the three most important words in human history, he has risen. He has risen. He's not here anymore. The dead is no longer here. The women, they come with a focus of death and burial, but the reality is a message of resurrection and celebration because he is no longer here. He has risen from the dead. The women bring the spices to have a form of closure, kind of ending. Let's just follow this through to the end. They can go then through the stages of grief, but actually, the angel announces a new beginning. Something has happened. Something has changed that will forever have ramifications on this earth. And the announcement of the gospel, sorry, the announcement of the angel is the gospel. Remember how Mark started, uh, verse 1, verse 1. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what the angel pronounces is basically the gospel. He has 
risen. So Mark's brought us full circle from where he began. He has risen. He is no longer dead. And what he does, interestingly, how Mark frames it, is he, he points to evidence, physical evidence. There's no miraculous manifestations in Mark's gospel. What does the angel say? The angel doesn't say, look at me, I'm an angel, you should believe me, because I'm like, wow, because angels are wow when they turn up. What does he say? He says, see the place where they laid him. And what's the implication there? It's empty. <laughs> look, he's gone. The body is gone. And as Christians, we need to know that examination of the evidence is enough to bring about faith. You don't need the miraculous, bow, although that does happen sometimes. But actually, the pronouncement of he's risen with the examination of the evidence he's not there is enough. It's absolutely enough for faith. And the church is evidence of that 2,000 years. Jesus rose bodily from death. The body's gone. He has a new resurrection body we read in other gospel accounts. And then the, the angel then gives them a commission. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter. And these are words, these are words of fulfillment from uh, Mark 14, 28. And they're words of grace and encouragement. Because what have the disciples done up to this point? If they were getting a report card, it would be what? F minus? I don't know what's at the bottom. It wouldn't be great. They fled Peter's denied them, he denied Jesus. It's just been a terrible thing. But the worst words of the angel about them are words of hope and encouragement. He said, he's going before you. He will meet you in Galilee and you will see him just as he told you. There are words of encounter. And even Peter is particularly singled out as the, the leader, not just of the disciples, but the leader in failure. <laughs> he's the one who's really gone the whole hog and absolutely, spectacularly fouled everything up with his three-time denial and all that that means. And the words from the angel are, no, go make sure you tell Peter. Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to meet with him. Which means that the actions of the disciples, the denial of Peter, are not the last words. Their failure are not the final words in their story. Human sin doesn't have the last word the king of heaven does the king of heaven does and the very first words we read of Jesus at the beginning of the gospel chapter 1 he announces the coming of the kingdom and then the very next thing he says is to these four fishermen come follow me and then we've got the last pronouncement here he's saying he is going there you will meet him again what Jesus has begun he will continue and the mess up in the middle, Jesus' word of grace and mercy is so much more than our sin. If we come, follow him. Jesus will build his church despite human failure and mess up. And his kingdom will come and his will will be done. And then we have the response at the end, verse 8. It says, and they went out and they fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone where they were afraid. In response to the angel's words, it says the women flee. Their fear and astonishment and the overwhelming kind of news 
that they'd had, that Jesus, who they thought was dead, has now been proclaimed to be alive. There's no body. It's just too much for them. They were commanded to speak, but they chose silence. They chose silence in that. And it's, again, a further reminder that actually seeing the miraculous doesn't necessarily produce faith. They met an angel, and they still failed to believe. Now, we know by reading other Gospels that this situation is not where it stays. It does change. But for Mark, that's where his Gospel ends. And in the universal agreement, as far as I can tell among scholars, is that that is the original ending of Mark's Gospel. That's where it finishes. And I don't know how you feel about that, but <laughs> in some ways it's wholly unsatisfying. <laughs> it's like, what? That? Yeah, but... I, there's more. I've read the other Gospels. I know there's more. But for Mark, that's where he chose to end it. And there are many fanciful theories have come about why. Maybe Mark died before he finished the end because he was in Rome with Peter with the persecution and Peter was executed there. Maybe Mark was too. But I think Mark has left it open for us as, a, as part of his story writing skill. He has provocatively left us with a hanging question. The pronouncement is Jesus has risen from the dead. And the question is, how are you going to respond to that? Because if we read the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has again and again confronted individual men and women. And they've all responded in different ways. We've had time and time again religious leaders reject him, turn away from him, harden their hearts, saying, no, we're not going to have anything to do with you. We've had the poor and the broken and the outsiders suddenly actually showing faith and trust in Jesus and becoming insiders. We've seen the disciples being hard-hearted and missing it and then having moments of clarity when Peter says, no, you, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. Even when he went to the temple in Jerusalem, again, he was rejected but there were others like Joseph Arimathea who actually saw something about him. We've got Pilate rejecting him, sending him to death. And then we've got the centurion, the one who actually carried out their executions. Words are, wait a minute, this surely was the son of God. And so there's all these responses. And for Mark, he leaves us in a position of an ending that we might find unsatisfying. But actually there's still a decision to be made. I said at the beginning, there's a massive decision. What are you going to do with the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And Mark's cut out all the other bits, all the great resurrection accounts and, and miraculous signs. It's just simply a message, which is the gospel. He's risen. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Now, let's just address the other bits before I kind of put together some application. Now, most English translations, as far as I can tell, have the extra bit in their Bible, um, verses 9 to 20. My Bible has that. And this is the, known as the longer ending of Mark's gospel. Now, just to explain what this is about, the very earliest uh, manuscripts that we have for the gospel of Mark do not contain this. But there's a few of them. However, the thousands of others, because there are so many copies of parts of New Testament in whole or in part, do have it. And so we have this kind of like, 
what it is. So it's universally believed and this next bit wasn't written by Mark. Part of that is because of the language used. There are words used in there in the Greek that aren't used in the whole rest of the gospel. So it's suddenly like, did Mark suddenly change his entire vocabulary? That's unlikely. You've got the weird bit in verse 9 with Mary Magdalene is suddenly introduced who we've already mentioned, what, three times? Oh, she's the woman with seven demons are cast out of. You're like, why? We know who she is, because we've had her already mentioned multiple times. And so it's universally believed that this wasn't written by Mark, yet it was accepted by many of the early church fathers as just to represent what was written here um, is part of the gospel message and part of what happened. And in fact, if you go through it, all of the stuff in there is verified by other parts of the New Testament other parts of the New Testament. So there's nothing new in it particularly. It is what it is. Um, And so it it appears in the Bibles because there's that, uh, is it, isn't it? And actually this shouldn't undermine our faith in God's word. It should only actually strengthen it that when there's something that we're not quite sure about, it's actually put out front and center and said we need to think about this. But it's generally, the university is not written by Mark. We think the eight was the ending, but it is there and it does point to Jesus' resurrection, which is verified by other parts of um, the New Testament. And this final section basically deals with two things. It deals with the movement from unbelief to belief. So you can imagine a scribe who's maybe not happy with Mark's ending and wants to add something to it. And so this is what they wrote. And so it's basically a bunch of resurrection appearances. He appears to Mary, he appears to two travelers, he appears to 11, and then we have his ascension at the end. So first bit, nine to 11, he appears to Mary. We know throughout all the other Gospels that the risen Christ appeared to Mary. Uh, We see that in many uh, detailed accounts and that she's been there. uh, And we show that she then actually turns um, to go and message the other disciples in John's Gospel. Her responsibility was go and to proclaim the message um, of Jesus' resurrection. And then we have the appearance of the two travelers, which is basically um, a nod to the end of Luke's Gospel, Luke 24, the two on the road to Emmaus. Very famous story where Jesus appears to them, talks to them about the scriptures. They don't know who he is. They go and have dinner together. He breaks bread and suddenly they see it's the risen Lord. And that's it. But you see a continued kind of unbelief there. And then he appears to the 11, which we see in many other gospels. And they're they're still hard-hearted. Jesus rebukes them. And we have things like doubting Thomas and the like, where Jesus has to come and appear to his disciples. And they finally believe. And then he gives them a commission. It says, uh, which recalls Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus uh, sends them out into the world, sending his message for both Jew and Gentile. It is for all creation. And then whoever believes is baptized, which we see working out throughout the the Gospel of Acts, the response to the Gospel of Jesus and putting your faith and trust in him is to be baptized and a recognition that the, um, the Gospel has not just universal significance for Jew and Gentile, but it has eternal consequences. For those who believe will be saved, those who do not believe will be condemned. And then we have the signs that follow. The gospel will be accompanied by signs of power, and we see that throughout the New Testament. They are merely just to attest the message. The message is the key, but actually around the proclamation of God's word, there are going to be miraculous signs. There's the speaking in tongues and there's casting out demons and there's people getting sick. And then we have the crazy bit that everyone focuses on. Let's look at it, verse 18. It says they're going to pick up serpents in their hands and they will drink deadly poison. This does not mean, just to clarify, we're not going to have snakes here next week. Doing the ooh. No. It's just a recognition that God miraculously sometimes intervenes to save his people to save his people from those who would try to harm them. 
And that's what that is. It's just a recognition that that happens sometimes and God is with his people with power. And that's a reminder for us as we proclaim the gospel, God is with us in power to perform his miraculous signs, to protect, to guide, to lead, to guard us in that. And in the gospel, the longer ending finishes verses 19, 20 with the ascension of Jesus into heaven, which is from Acts 1, 9 to 11. And it, it brings in Psalm 110 as well about him seating at the right hand of the Father. And so even with this longer ending, it, it, it lands in the place you want it to. Jesus is Lord. He has risen. He's ascended to heaven. He is ruling and reigning over all things. And we are to worship him and follow him all the days of our life. Okay, let's come back and look a little bit of application and then we will worship together. One thing I want to just bring to you today, and that is this. Jesus rose from the dead. Time to make your choice. Jesus rose from the dead. Time to make your choice. Mark has led us through 16 chapters. We've been on this journey for 12 months and it comes back to the same thing. What are you going to do with Jesus He began his gospel uh, saying this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ being the anointed one, the son of God, God himself come to earth. He is the long awaited Messiah. He was heralded by John the Baptist as the new Elijah to come to be the forerunner of God's chosen king, God's, God's chosen leader. We see Jesus baptized in the Jordan where he's filled with God the Holy Spirit. He's affirmed by God the Father, ready for his ministry on earth. He then demonstrates his power time and time again over sickness and disease and death and the created order and the demonic influences in the world. He shows himself to be superior than them in every possible aspect. Jesus shows his authority over man-made religion by confronting and correcting and besting anyone who would come and try and speak to him and undermine it and shows a thorough understanding of God's word that causes anyone who stand with him to go silent. We've seen Jesus as the new and better Moses who will lead his people out of slavery to sin into the promised land of new life with him. We've seen his own predictions three times, chapters 8, 9, and 10, of his coming death. He knows what's coming and his subsequent resurrection. He enters Jerusalem as God himself returning to his temple, the place, the center of worship for the people of God, but he pronounces judgment on man's attempt at religion to try and earn their way to God. He says it will not last. We find out that Jesus alone is the place where the presence of God dwells on earth. And they don't go to a place, they go to a person. That's where you meet with God, only through Christ himself. That's how you come to God the Father. Then we see Jesus as both the suffering servant and the sacrificial lamb who died in our place for our sin, which was all in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures and even Jesus' own words as he pronounced them and his fulfillment of prophecy. We see him die, his body placed in the tomb, and then on the third day, He has risen from the dead, as he said, which then leaves us with that stark choice. What are you going to do with that news? And it's been the same message the church has been proclaiming since he rose from the dead. This is the message. He has risen. What are you going to do about it? And so it becomes this massive choice for us because you can really go one of two ways. You can run and hide. You can reject truth. You can reject Jesus' call to come and know him, 
to repent, he said, turn away from your sins, live another life, come into his kingdom, follow him as king and lord. You can reject his forgiveness, you can reject his grace, you can reject his mercy, you can reject his calling. But all that does is leave you outside of the kingdom of God facing his judgment. You just have to stand before a holy God on your own and you will face the same fate that the temple felt, faced and Jerusalem the city faced when it was destroyed by the Romans, utterly wiped out. And that is what you will face. You can also make a choice along the same sort of lines. You say, well, I'll kind of take Jesus, but he'll just be one among many. Yeah, I'll accept it, but I won't really accept it. Which is probably more of a challenge to us here and now. Is actually Jesus just one of many? Yeah, I'll kind of follow him, but actually what I also follow is the many other gods of this world. I follow my career, my career path. It starts at school. I've got to make sure I get the good grades. That's what I'm putting my faith and trust in. I get the good grades, and then I, I get the right school, and I go to maybe university after college, and then I get the right career path, and then I'm on that trajectory, and that's my focus, going up the career ladder. That's the most important thing. I put my faith and trust in my family and, and my kids and how I raise them and how they make me look good by making sure I get them into the right school and the right clubs and they're in the right places. I pursue money or my hobbies. That's the most important thing. I live for the weekend. I live for doing that. Jesus is just one of many things rather than being the one above all things in our lives. And I just, that is the wrong answer to this question. The other answer, the other option you could take is you could believe Jesus rose from the dead. Why? Because he said he would. And then he did. And there were eyewitnesses who saw it and then wrote it down and left it here for us. And that is enough. That is enough. We could be, it could be your first time this morning, it could be your hundredth time. But we are to put our faith and trust in a risen Savior who died in our place for our sin. And it's a daily decision we make. It's one we have to make today, afresh and new to live in the light that Jesus rose from the dead. We are to grow up and take this seriously. We need to orientate our lives around this truth. Jesus has risen and he is Lord and he stands over everything. We are to live lives submitted to him where we declare this truth to others, to a watching world, to our school groups, to our families, to our neighbors, to our colleagues, to our friends and families. We proclaim this good news in all and every opportunity as we go about life, as we serve the poor, the broken, the outcast, as we raise our kids, as we welcome the stranger and pray for the sick. And we need the Holy Spirit to do this. We need to be men and women full of the Holy Spirit because if you just drop on the story to the beginning of the book of Acts, they'd seen the risen Jesus, they'd heard about the risen Jesus, where were they? Still huddled together, a little bit unsure, until what? The Spirit fell on them. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit fell and suddenly the church began. And we need to be men and women full of the Holy Spirit, being praying for one another, praying for ourselves. We've got our first uh, all-leaders meeting tonight down in the hub uh, later where we're going to be sharing some great news about what we think God's saying for the next season. But we're going to take opportunity there to pray for us to be filled with the Spirit. We'll do it in our life groups, do it in all and every opportunity. 
And as we close out this gospel, I hope you've uh, found the journey stimulating. I hope you've learned something. I hope you've grown. I found it absolutely brilliant going through the gospel. But as we come to the end, we need to make a decision. And we need to recognize that it's all about him. It's all about him. And that's where Mark leaves us at the end, saying, make your choice. But he's very squarely saying, this is the choice you need to make. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Do you want to stand up? I want to pray for you. Can the band come back up? And then we're going to worship the Lord um, together. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Open your hands. I want you to make a decision today. I want you to make your decision today. It's just you and him. Jesus is here by his spirit. He always said he would be. And so we've got an opportunity now to actually say, what are you going to do with Mark's kind of ending? How are you going to respond? So Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this gospel. I want to thank you for what Mark wrote for us all those years ago that we can learn today. I want to thank you for what you've taught us through these last 12 months as we've dug into this gospel message. Lord Jesus, I pray today that as we stand here before you, that we would make good and wise decisions. I want to give you now just a moment between you and him to make your decision. Are there things you need to put aside, to put down? Are there things you need to just commit to afresh this day? Say this day, this Sunday. It doesn't matter what has gone before. We saw that with the disciples and Peter. They royally messed up. And the angel came and said, make sure you tell them and Peter, just to be clear, human sin doesn't have the last word. God's grace and mercy does. And so just take a moment now, talk to him about what choice you're going to make today and just know no choice is a choice. Lord Jesus, we look to you, we turn our eyes to you and we say, you are alive. You have risen. We take the message of the angel and we put our faith and trust in that. Lord Jesus, I want to say today, I make the choice again to follow you. I turn from living my own life and I put my hope in you. Lord Jesus, I want to say, I believe the message I trust the message that you rose from the dead and you ascended into heaven and you rule and reign for eternity. Lord Jesus, I want to say, God, fill me with your spirit today that I might know your presence, that I might know you, that I might live this life for you. I want to be written about me, spoken about me, that he was all about Jesus. That's my choice today, Lord God. And God, I ask for us, I ask for me as these people that we would have grace to follow you, to proclaim that you're alive and to make it all about you. 
And God's people said,